לשידור ישיר ממחנה רמה בברקשיירס.
you know, we, we are able to have these conversations and Jews have been able to have these conversations for so many centuries, partly because of, of certain features of the biblical text. And when you read them in English, like you open up your Eitz Chaim or your JPS, which is the same, or whatever other Bible that you happen to open, uh, you know, your translation has made sense of it uh, already for you. The, the translation has, at whatever level, smoothed out the ambiguities. But the Hebrew will always have, you know, it'll be, it'll have more space in there. It'll always, you know, have certain ambiguities. And when there is something like Vayikach Karach without a direct object, Karach took dot dot dot, you know, or or there are many other examples that are that are you know that are like this, you know, and and you know, Cain says to his brother Abel, and there's nothing else after that. It doesn't say what happened. So, or, or Isaac and Abraham, and so the the Hebrew reader. Um, who pays close attention to the grammar and the syntax is going to have whole whole vast you know areas for speculation and for interpretation, which are one of the things that makes Torah study so special. Well, that's what we're doing here. We're trying to fill in the blank. We're trying to answer the question, and, and the text is inviting us to that very question. Barry. So the advantage of the new JPS translation, which is already um, close to 40 years old, is that it often will say when the Hebrew is not understood Right. There's a difficulty in the text. The old JPS translation from 1917 never said that. So when you read that in English, you never knew if the problem was with you or the text. But in the new JPS translation, they don't have a note here for Vayikach Korach, right? It doesn't say Hebrew not understood or difficult. Can, can we just dip a pinky toe into the Midrash here? We, we didn't talk about this, but it's so delightful the Midrash that says that what did he take? He took a talus. He took the, the talit that was completely t'chelet, and he said, he asked Moshe, you know, does a, does a completely blue piece of garment that you wear, a four-cornered garment, does it need tzitzit? Which is a great question. Does a, does a home that is filled with holy books require a mezuzah? And these questions are, are great questions because they're the kind of annoying question that you would get from like a 12-year-old. And there's a truth to that question. The, 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 the question is has a premise which says, why are you doing this? And the assumption that the only reason why you're doing it is because I said so. <laughs> well, the the uh, that midrash about the 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 Begit Shakulo Techela, the entirely First of all, to, to just clue the readers in, or clue our listeners in, the last item in the previous part yes. is the commandment of tzitzit, where it says you should put on the corners of your tzitzit one blue thread. And the immediate next thing is vayikath karah. And of course, the, the Torah isn't naturally divided up into parshiot. Uh, it's not naturally divided up into weekly sections. It's just one sequence. One thing comes sequentially after the other. So, so the just brilliance of this midrash is you get the mitzvah of, of a single blue thread really important because techelet uh or whatever color it actually lo looked like in ancient times you know it was a symbol of royalty and priesthood and and being part of the elite and the amazingly beautiful democrat or de democratizing practice of Judaism that every single Jew gets at least one thread of royalty, at least one thread of priesthood. And then Karach shows up, and this is why the Midrash is so brilliant, and this is one of the reasons why the Midrash is so brilliant. Karach shows up, and we already know that he's a self-aggrandizing, power-hungry kind of guy, 
And he's exactly the kind of guy who would like to say, you know what? I have an all blue garment. I don't have one thread. I got the whole thing. And it, the Midrash makes him out to be uh, precisely the kind of person who wants power not to serve the people, but for his own ego gratification. Maybe the Midrash is saying he's just a complete annoying person. <laughs> you know, I'm reminded of, of um, you know, the, the late Rabbi Isaac Klein, who wrote the book, uh, Guide to Jewish Religious Power. His grandson was uh, used to go to Ramon Kennedy. He, 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 he described, um, after Rabbi Klein wrote a tshuva that permitted, you know, cheese, you know, ordinary cheese. So there was a congregate that, that, brought him some ordinary cheese and, and, and basically said, I want you to eat that in front of me. But, you know, it, it's it's annoying. There's a there's a totally unsavory and annoying thing about it. And yet there's a certain element of, you know, he's got some... The que- well, we, it was we unsavory, Elliot. Question. It was unsavory because it was blue cheese. Blue cheese. No. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, on the one hand, none of us would like to... Um, you know, disallow a question. We we would consider. I I, I speak for myself, but I'm I'm almost you know certain you would agree. No question really is out of bounds. You know, we're we're prepared to understand. We're prepared to engage with all questions, because we understand that when someone brings a question, when someone asks a question. You know, there's there's often it's often not just a fact question. It's often or not a reason question, but there's it's an invitation to a dialogue. And so here, the question I'm asking about the midrash is: Is it an invitation to a dialogue, or is it an invitation to oh my god, here he goes again with this stupid question? <laughs> well, I, I I think that like I said, I think the midrash is not so concerned with the question, but but Karak's portrayal of himself. As a as a you know an all blue garment kind of guy, but um, we are in favor of every sincere question. Okay, but every but there's also questions that are almanat le canter that are really just provocative and to make somebody look bad and to gotcha and to to be a nudnik. It's like Elliot. We have you and I have spoken in the past about the famous Hillel Shammai story. Yes, you know Shammai. The, the, the non-Jew comes to this, convert me uh, on the uh, condition that you can teach me the whole Torah while I stand on one foot. And Shammai smacks him in the face and tells him to get the hell out of here. And Hillel offers the gentle answer of, what's hateful to you, don't do to somebody else. And opens up, you know, this is this is the whole Torah and the rest is commentary. And, um, and we, Hillel is supposed to win that story, but I know that you feel... That I, I do feel that the defense here only because he's defending the integrity of the Torah and he's basically saying something that's quite true and real, which is you you can't you can't learn the Torah on one foot. You there there's no way to condense the Torah down to one specific thing, notwithstanding you know Hillel's beautiful thing. It's it's that you have to give the Torah, the seriousness that it requires. And I'm always comforted by the fact that Shammai in Pirkevot is the one that is Sever Panem He's the one that, that's full of joy. But he's he's a person that takes this seriously and takes responsibility to, seriously. And, and he doesn't win here. That's the point. And I, I think I, uh, there's something appealing about losing, too, in that case. Okay. One more little comment I want to mention on Vayikach Korach. 
he takes advantage. That's Shadal, Shmuel David Lazzato, a 19th century commentator, very interesting commentator. He takes advantage of the hour. He takes advantage of the hour, the time, because there's a weakness. The people, if you if you read the story consecutive to the story of the spies, the people are at their lowest morale. And and correct me if I'm wrong, not that I, I know of demagoguery, but demagoguery has a certain talent for taking advantage and hearing, you know, certain vulnerabilities in the populace and seizing on that vulnerability, seizing on a low morale and saying, I I alone. I alone, I alone can fix this. I alone can fix this. Well, you know, I, I think that, first of all, I love that comment. That's Thank you for pointing that out to me, which I didn't know. But, you know, let's read this story with Korach and his claim that, uh, you know, Rav Lachem, you have taken too much on yourselves. You guys are power hungry. Parach says, you guys are power hungry, and I'm the Democrat, which is is suspect. I'm the Democrat wearing an all blue, all blue garment. But just let's read this story in conversation with two parshiotigo. In Behalotecha, Aaron and Miriam say, you know, Moses isn't the only one here, and we should have more of an elevated status. And God says, you know, Moshe is extremely humble. And also, you have the um, El Dadu Medad episode in which they they are given a, a, a gift of prophecy, which which somewhat is, the, the details aren't so important right for now, but they're somewhat coloring outside the lines. And Joshua says, you have to arrest these people. And Moshe says, no, 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 listen, what I want is actually a greater diffusion of the divine gift. And so we have Korach, we have Joshua, we have Aaron and Miriam, all of whom at some level are anxious, positive or negative, that Moses be the only guy, that Moses have all the power, and Moses himself is more than once on record as saying, I actually want more power sharing, which I think is like pretty interesting. And so are you saying that in that wedge, Korach is maybe inserting himself? Is that a defensive, you know? um, I'm I'm saying that Korach is not the only person in the book of Numbers, who is anxious about Mosaic authority, it's actually a recurring theme. Interesting. And and in in Bahalotecha, in the in the episode of the seventy prophets, clearly the Torah comes down and says it's good to share this gift. That's the that's the whole point. And with respect to Aaron and Miriam, there is a modified affirmation of Moses's power. Said, but that that power comes that that authority that that Hooray Moses moment comes at least partly because Moshe is humble and doesn't want it all for himself. He does want to share it, and he does happen to be Moshe Rabbeinu, and he's got more more wisdom and more connection with God than other people. But what I, I would say is that Korach feels himself exposed. And I, I like your connecting it with the story of Aaron and Miriam, because I was thinking of, of that as well. And what that story has to do with is access to God. And in a certain sense, Korach is bemoaning that he does not seem to have access to God that he should have. So if you look at the verse, um, which of course I just had, um, uh, verse Gimel, 
and they gathered against Moses and Aaron, and they said to them, you've done too much. The entire community is holy. God is in their midst. Curiously, Korach doesn't include himself in that. doesn't say God is in He says, why do you lift yourself up over the assembly of God? And I think that Korach is not feeling quite so divine or connected to the divine, and that's really his problem, is that by all rights, every Israelite should have a connection to God. That's really the democratic message of, I think, biblical religion if we want to give it one and Korach doesn't feel that and so he's ticked off by the way I want to just just strengthen this point the Vitocham well let's just remember one of the signal verses of the whole thing Vitocham the whole point and and the Kiddoshim Tihiu passage of Leviticus 19 also is like this is the Israel Canal's famous argument that most of the book of Leviticus is about the, the sanctity of the ritual, the sanctity of the of the priests, the sanctity of the the unblemished or undefiled body. And then Leviticus 19 comes up and says, you know, speak to the entire Israelite community and say, all of you can be holy, and it, and it's primarily in social relations. Honoring your parents, not cursing the deaf, not cursing the deaf, or tripping the blind. Get rid of your hate, not bearing grudges, and and loving your neighbor as yourself, and loving the stranger. That the, the Leviticus nineteen is a major affirmation that that kikolaida kulam adonai. So Korah has a lot of good biblical uh, religious meaning on his side, and because every Jew who's ever opened up. Numbers 16, that is to say, anybody who's inherited the Torah, that we have inherited. We're not taking a time machine to see this particular fight. We have a story that we've inherited. Any Jew who's ever opened the Torah already knows that Korach's a bad guy. We already know how the end, we already know what the end is. And so we read that he's got something legitimate, even wise sounding to say, and we just don't believe he means it. So I this leads me to the question. Which is that? So Moses challenges him and says, "Bokir, come, come tomorrow morning. Take your fire pans, and we'll see. We'll see." And the question I have is really maybe a silly question, which is, why does he agree to this? Does he really think he's going to win? And and or is there another reason he has to do this? Is he is he? leading his group he has 250 people with him is he just leading them off the cliff here Does so he... you know, I, I don't i don't want to get actually i kind of too, totally do want to get very practical american politics right now but i'm going to be somewhat judicious okay as we, as we record this here in, in june of 2023 i just so i have a funeral today and and uh not the immediate family but a very close friend is a federal judge and he and he you know came from a meeting and uh and what was your meeting about he said well we the judges of the second circuit were all getting together and talking about the meaning of the rule of law okay the rule of law and and uh this guy didn't say this my congregation didn't say this but the way i was thinking about what he meant by that is 
that that we actually have a social people have to agree to play by the rules for the rule of law to work and we have a former president right now who's being charged and like you sort of imagine at some point he's going to say oh, I'm, I'm not i'm not going to pay attention to this rule but he can't because there's no legitimacy unless he says the process which we all share i, I am going to pay respect to that process if Karak just said okay moshe the hell with you i'm not coming then what claim would he have to say really i want to be the leader of am yisrael and service of god no like if he says the hell with you i'm breaking off and starting my own band or i don't respect your authority or whatever then then it would be like somebody indicted who just refused to show up in court so no but it also suggests i think that as again i mentioned before the show is that we Korach and even Moshe does not know whether it's going to work or not, right? There's a certain amount of bravado here and perhaps bluster on the part of Korach because at any moment you could have the winning hand and you might not have the winning hand, but you don't know. You know, it's like the contest between two athletes, you know, the pitcher and the hitter. So... I think one of the things we often overlook is that in in real life, we don't know the results until afterwards. As you mentioned, Jeremy, we know the story already, so we know how it ends. But if, as this actually plays out, they don't know, right? Moses' batting average is not a 1,000. Yeah, Sometimes so, he, he misses. Oh. And this could be one of those times. So the way I interpret what you're saying, Barry, is that Korach really understands that he has legitimacy here, that he is an underdog, that he is an opposition, and that in order to in order to prove himself, he does have to show up. In order to play by the rules, he has to show up. And yet, I, it, you know, because we know the end of the story, it's hard not to see in his act of showing up a, a tremendous arrogance, a tremendous arrogance that, that costs the lives of 250 people. And um willing participants as far as willing participants, yes, but but you would think that, you know, so Moses issues the the challenge basically and they go back to their tents or they go back to their their meeting place, right? So play out play out the meeting, right? They're, Korach stands and says, well, everybody's got to get their fire pans ready. And so wouldn't somebody kind of raise their hand and say, listen, Korach, you know, uh, maybe maybe we, we sh maybe we should concede at this point. Or are they all bamboozled by him? Are they all swayed by his opinion? And this, he has charisma. Maybe it's the charisma. Maybe it's the arrogance. And maybe it's that we have nothing to lose now because... Moses is taking us out of a land that's flowing with milk and honey into the desert, and we're not—we're never going to get to the land of milk and honey anyway. There's nothing to lose here. I'm—I'm going to go with that one. Not—not uh, not only I'm going to go with a combination of um, several things you said. One is—is is, um, Moses has, like, perhaps at some level, as these folks say, failed. We're not the richest country in the world. We're in some dang deserts. We just got sentenced with 40 more years of being in this dang desert. Um, but I'm going to go with, to keep it in American politics in the early 21st century, I'm going to go with people love this demagogue 
he has swayed them, he has carried them away on his charisma, and some of us look at him and say, that's charisma? I don't understand why you find it charismatic, but lots of people do find it charismatic, and if the demagogue tells somebody things which are false on the face, for which there is no evidence, but he keeps saying them, people keep saying, you know, I totally believe this guy. Uh, the election was stolen. Moshe Rabbeinu is an illegitimate leader, and we're actually we're actually the true and authentic leaders here. So and I'm going to charismatic carries away the people, and they're true believers, even if it's stupid. They're true believers. But but even if it's catastrophic, and this is this is what what's painful about the story is that, and and of course, we get to the next scene, and they 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 obviously lose, and and Moses stands up before them and says basically the imbriya yivram reading chapter 16 verse 30 you know ufatsta haadama et piha let the let the let the earth open up its mouth uval autam and swallow them up at kola sherlahem and all that there is for them vayardu chaim shaola and let them go down to shaol alive vidatem and you will know they will know you will know that they have wrongfully challenged God. In other words, you know, this is the folly of of the charismatic demagogue. The charismatic demagogue doesn't really care about the followers. And in this in this tragic moment, 250 people are killed. They're swallowed up by the earth, which is another big puzzle. Why, you know, how how this punishment meets meets the crime here, that they would be swallowed up and go down to uh Sheol alive, um, but but um, you know the punishment meets the crime because the because of the graphic knowledge of you know uh, the the story is told in in terms of arising and sinking. So so Moses says to to uh, you know Korah says Madua Titnasu, why do you lift yourself <laughs> up? Yeah. And and so he wants to lift himself up, and you know what's gonna happen. Mida Kineged Mida, he's going down. I think also Sha'ol signifies and and there's a, a bit of a, a cue in the word Sha'ol that that's where you end up when you are really bad. <laughs> and um, you know, it's interesting when when Jacob mourns for the Joseph, the torn garment he sees in front of himself and he says I'm going to go down to my son in mourning there's a sense that when he uses that word it's it's about I'm guilty I'm guilty for this so what I would say is not so much guilty but making a drash on the connection with the root letter is a question it's for things that are unresolved so Jacob, when he says it, his grief is unresolved because he doesn't quite know what happened to Yosef. And for Korach, what's unresolved is his claim to leadership. But it, but his his unresolved guilt, I guess, his unresolved, you know, the 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 sense that he's evil or that he's wrong or that. Uh, yeah, that, I don't know that he's evil. We do have the problem with his son surviving to go write some psalms later. Indeed, we'll make it into our our psalm book. No, I, I just know one more thing. First of all, I love Barry. That was awesome about the 
the Sha'ol Sha'ela, and maybe you could tie into what Ellie was saying before about the nudnik questions of uh, uh, the things he wants to ask. But uh, I want to throw one more thing in there about the beauty of like reading it in Hebrew. Like, okay, so you know that that Moshe means drawn from the water, and and maybe you can figure out that Abraham is father of many nations, and Yaakov is the trickster who grabs the heel. Korach is baldy. <laughs> He's baldy. He's one of the only people that we know something about, like we guess their appearance. A Karerach is a bald person. Eliyahu uh, Nabi is portrayed as, uh, he's described as being very hairy. And Karach and, and Elisha, his his disciples portrayed also as being Karach. And, and Karach probably means that the guy's that the guy's bald. All right. So let me let me. We're we're coming to the end here. I just want to ask a a, a question relating to Moses. Okay. So so Moses uh, successfully neutralizes this opposition, um, and there's a plague that breaks out, and and there's all sorts of calamity that happens. So let let me pose it as you're the political advisor. You're the consultant to Moses. And and of course, you know, this consulting not being in the Torah. So what would you advise Moses in order to restore a sense of calm or a sense of control or a sense of like we're going to get through this together? What, what would be the political advice you'd give him in order to get to get back into the people's plus? So the story has answered it for you, Elliot, because oh. there are no bones because they went down to the Sha'ola alive. Alive. So there is no burial, and their bodies have not um, disintegrated oh. around their bones that would be left to bury. Okay. So they, I think the image that we're left with is that they disappeared completely. They did not leave a trace. No, I'm asking about... So about what you advised Moshe, I think, is I don't know that he needs a lot of advice. I think one of the things that becomes clear is that Moses is actually a very skilled politician. And um, I think we could give him credit for understanding people. And in light of that, I think when he tells Korach to show up, he's challenging him and putting Korach in a very difficult situation because, as you said, he has to show up. Yeah, that might not have been Korach's original objective. No, right. Yeah. Now, now there's in in this. Uh, I'm on a roll here with the with the <laughs> with the fables with the uh, allegories to contemporary life. But um, you know, you already have people talking about. It's interesting that that people who are ostensibly Trump's allies didn't run to. He's really innocent. They ran to. He deserves a pardon, and. Uh, which they probably means that they don't really think he is innocent. Um, and so I'm thinking about Putin as well. Putin's uh, critics end up dead or in Siberia. And and I don't, and I and like I said before, I like the Moshe Rabbeinu who says, when John, go back to go back to Bahalotcha, Eldad who made that a prophecy in the camp, Joshua says, arrest them and send them to Siberia. Moshe says, you know, we can actually deal with a little, we can deal comfortably and profitably with a little bit of, of ferment, even dissent. So I say, not it's, not, it's not in the Torah, I'm making up my own story here. 
because obviously what happens to the band of Korach happens, Korach Vikolarato happens, but I say, you know, maybe there's, maybe we're working in in rabbinic Judaism to some version of of Elu Ve'elu Divrei Elohim Chaim. These and those are words of the living God. Korach is the guy who says everybody's holy, that's in the Torah. Uh, Korach is the guy who says that God is in the midst of the community, that's in the Torah. And maybe we can, maybe we can profitably listen to Korach without having the earth swallow him up and it, and and a certain amount of dissent is is always healthy in a society interesting look the the, the story unfolds in the parsha where Moses is authority or Aaron, the 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 Mate Aaron, the sorry the Aaron's authority is um, uh, demonstrated with the flowering that that it tries to restore authority to Aaron and obviously successfully does and then we get to next week's parsha I, you know, the answer I would give to this question is he simply goes on. Zot Chukata Torah, he simply goes on legislating. He 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 behaves as Moses is. This is the this insurrection, this moment of rebellion is um awful. It's tragic. I, it's hard to read the story every year. I always get it's upsetting. It's upsetting that this happened, right? Can't I can't read the story without feeling you know, even though I know how it ends, that that there's something very dangerous here. There's something very difficult here, and maybe this this sense of rebellion still exists within the people. That there there's and and we 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 have this uh, propensity sometimes, and sometimes it it really um, it really can destroy us. You know, we we have. We have this tendency. We have a moment now in Israel where where we have a tremendous kind of upswell of of, of anger, um, and if it's channeled in a way that uh, that is violent, negative, it can be catastrophic for us. Um, but um, you know, maybe he, go, he goes on legislating. That's a great observation. But the specific content of the le- legislation in Numbers nineteen is. Here's how you respond to death. Yeah. Here's how you come back from death back into life. Nice. So maybe nice. maybe he's saying to the people, um, nice. "All right, we got we got some we got some healing. The long national nightmare is going to come to an end." That's great. That would be the 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 way to purify yourself from this. It gives us a ritual for that. Um, but in a way, it says, "Look, you know, we we've experienced the cataclysm, and we have to figure out a way." To not purge that, but to have that part of our our story, our national story, our national story has to take into account uh, that this this event this event took place. Barry, have a, a last word you want to comment? No, on? you spoke very well. Okay, very good. All right, folks, well, we want to thank you all for for watching, for listening to uh, friends of ours at Machane Raman, the Berkshires. I think I think there are people there populating the Berkshires. Thanks for listening to us. I hope they're hearing us. Absolutely. We thank Mitch Mernick for 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 doing this, for putting it up. And uh, we, we look forward to joining you during the summer. And we want to wish everyone a beautiful Shabbat. So Shabbat Shalom. We'll see you next Shabbat Shalom. Another edition of
לשידור ישיר ממחנה רמה בברקשיירס. כל רמה 102.3 מה אישים? קיץ האוויר. רדיו כל רמה 102.3 FM